0: Welcome to Meet the Filmmakers at the Apple Store, Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome guest moderator, Tom Huddleston.
1: Thanks a lot, everyone. So we're here to discuss the film Still, uh, which is a terrific British indie coming out on Friday, having its premiere at the Regent Street Cinema. Uh, We've got director Simon Blake and we've got Aidan Gillen and they're going to be coming on in a second first we're going to watch uh, a trailer for the film he always used to ask after you when you were gone i was his dad you were the one he wanted to be with so
2: just stop trying to tell me what to do stop trying to be a mommy All right? Because you're not a mother
1: anymore, are you? You're not a fucking mommy anymore!
2: How many times are you going to let these little
3: fuckers piss on you before you realize you're wet? It's about closure, whatever it takes.
1: So that's the trailer for Still. Um, We will be taking some questions from the audience towards the end, so have a think about anything that you want to ask Simon or Aidan. Now without further ado, the director, Simon Blake, and actor Aidan Gillen. (laughs) Hi. Hello. Hi. So, Simon, I wanted to start with you. Um, I know you worked in theater and then made some short films. I heard an interview with you where you said you had some success in your 20s and then hit a bit of a wall in your 30s. So can you talk about kind of that process and the the process of becoming a fully-fledged filmmaker and a feature filmmaker with Still?
3: Well, I was lucky enough to meet a um, kind of an amazing producer who kind of allowed me to to make Still. but yeah, the film is to some extent about how men deal with failure, um, <laughs> which is not a very good tagline. Um, but that's kind of what it's about. It's about a person who is not where he hopes to be. And then you throw in all the other different elements and you know you, you watch this man kind of fall apart. Um, and it is difficult when you're a creative person if you're not doing what you love doing. It's, um, it's not a very good place to be.
1: Did it... <clears throat> Sorry, did it begin with a script and then you, I mean, was it, was it a traditional uh, filmmaking method where you wrote a script, you sent it to some people, you got some funding? Or, I mean, what was the kind of process no, around that? No, not at all.
3: Not at all. It started off as a stage play um, about 12 or 13 years ago. And then a friend of mine um, who is a DOP said you should make it into a film. And at first I was quite reluctant because I loved the claustrophobic nature of the stage play. And I thought that if we opened it out into a film, we would lose that. And what's quite strange is actually, hopefully in a very cinematic way, we've returned to that kind of claustrophobic quality. Um, and so I, I, I wrote a couple of drafts. The first drafts were far too close to the stage play. And then it started to open out um, and we had some interest. But it's, it's not a very easy sell. So I needed a producer like Colette to have the courage to make it, and for somebody like Aidan to support it. Um, And then it then it had wings and it had legs. And as soon as you know Colette got involved, she had access to funding. Um, So it became real and became potential. And then the minute Aidan came on board, that gave us credibility. And so um, yeah.
1: Um, I'm guessing if there's any budding filmmakers in the audience, they'll want to know how a first time feature filmmaker got an actor like Aidan Gillen to appear in their film. So maybe you can both talk about kind of how you first read the script, how you approached Aidan, this sort of idea. Uh,
0: through the usual channels, I got sent the script uh, through an agent, through my agent. Um, uh, who does send me on everything you know um, I'm not sure how it works with other actors, but I'm not sure if you know every smaller film script gets through to you know a, a, an actor that it's um intended for but um if the actor you know uh, imparts this information to the agent that they do want to read everything and are interested in um in projects that don't necessarily, I'm going to make them rich or, um, you know, smaller. What are seen as smaller projects? So they're they're not really smaller because the work involved in making them is usually greater, and the involvement is usually greater, and the workload is usually more intense, and the rewards are can be greater. Um, uh, so the, le- the script came with a cover letter, uh, you know, explaining what the situation was a link to uh, Simon's showreel, which I was quite impressed with. He'd made some short films, which were, which were all very visually striking, and some music videos, same thing. And um, that was it, really. I, I tend to read things quick and give an answer, like, there and then. So I think it was probably... Was it yeah, quick it was very was it?
3: quick. Yeah, it was very quick. I mean, we had a conversation when you were in Croatia, and from that moment, if we could make the schedule work, you were in.
0: Yeah, and obviously the script has to be good, and the script was good, and it had a good, uh, quite meaty role as well, which is always. Uh,
3: and I had said help. to Colette that I thought we could get an actor of Aidan's potential, you know, an ability, because any actor who's interested in good parts would like to take on the role of carver. So I kind of hoped that we would get somebody like Aidan, because the role of Carver would attract an actor like Aiden. I suspected, and thankfully um, I was right. I
0: can't remember the conversation. What did we talk about?
3: talked about my films, a um, bit about the character, a bit about things you liked, things you didn't like.
0: Yeah, I think we both liked a lot of the same kind of films and yes, music. Yes, yeah, definitely. It generally helps. Um, although visually I think it came out even better than I would have... Uh, Expected not that I wouldn't have expected <laughs> <laughs> expected it to look great, but it does have a different, much bigger look than maybe the, the shorts had. The yeah. shorts were very artistically um, striking and beautifully framed, but it was quite uh, arty and even abstract. But this was qu- is quite uh, classical. Maybe the DP uh, Andy Parsons. Yeah, he hadn't done many. F- Feature films before and I think he did a pretty amazing
3: job. Yeah, he did an amazing job, particularly in terms of the film is like a modern take on noir and so we really pushed the darkness and uh, a lot of single source lighting and kind of really pushed it um, and how dark we could take it without it becoming ugly so that it still has a painterly quality I hope and I think Andy did a, an amazing job and both myself and Aiden you know, we knew that we were working with somebody who was in tune and in harmony with what we were trying to create. And,
1: oh. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Well, I was going to introduce a, a clip, so, right, so okay. say what you were going to say. Um,
0: <laughs> I was just going to say the atmosphere is quite important um, in, the, uh, in this film, and I think the fact that we both, that Simon lives in, near King's Cross and that I had just lived in Islington, um, myself and we both had kids and you know raised our kids in that environment uh, was also a, a touchstone that was important and that we knew what it was like to you know it's an obvious thing to say but if I didn't have kids and live in North London I may not have gone there because I just wouldn't have I may not have known what I was talking about but I do.
3: And then in initial conversations that we had prior to shooting it was obvious that we had very much touchstones we have very similar music tastes um, we have a, a relationship with North London, we have children. Um, so there were a lot of kind of bases that meant that there was a, a shorthand that is always really, really helpful when you're making a film, but particularly a film of this kind of budget where time constraints are huge. If you have a, an instant chemistry and in a shorthand, it makes up for a lot of... Um...
1: Um, so we're gonna take a look at a quick clip um, in contrast to what Simon was just saying it's actually one of the lighter, in both senses, moments of the film, but this is where, uh, where Tom's ex-wife, Rachel, meets his now girlfriend, Christina, for the first time. So if you can roll that clip.
3: Sorry,
1: I. Oh, Rachel. Tom's ex. Oh, Christina, nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you, Cindy. I've heard lots about you. Oh, I'm sure. I bet Tom's never mentioned me before. You look a bit shocked. Oh, no, no, no. He's uh he's told me lots about you. Where is he? Well, you, um Tom was out of tonics, so he's gone to the off license. Oh,
0: So, you two have met each other then, yeah?
1: Yeah. Everything all right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you know what, I um, really should be going, so...
0: Sure I can't tempt you?
1: (laughs) It's fine, thank you. Um, Really nice to meet you, Christine. You too. uh, Good to see you. Yeah,
0: you too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Be nice if we could do it again sometime.
0: Yeah. All right, call me. I will. Right,
1: take care. Bye. So that clip might not illustrate it but, but still is a, is, is a very dark film and it's a very tough film uh, and it's quite claustrophobic so I, I, I wondered if it was a very serious shoot or did you have time to have a bit of fun while you were making it and improvise and you know have a joke or was it all very kind of work all the time?
3: It wasn't that much fun it was work all the time. Yeah, it was work all the time, uh, yeah, time, all the time because
0: the uh, schedule was quite tight. I mean, yeah. you know, it was only three to four weeks. I'm not really sure, and a lot to do in that time. Particularly um,
3: once we got outside the flat, then it yeah. got really tough.
0: Um, I mean, it's always fun, even if you're not actively trying to make jokes all the time and be funny. You know, um, if there's a bunch of people around who are into what they're doing, and um, you know, that's. It makes it fun, but mm. it, it's work more than anything. There was a, some. Uh, you just asked about improvisation. There's not much improvisation in it. There's some though. I think we used to use it just to get to top and tail scenes, just to kind of get things rolling yeah. and uh, and do the scene, and then just throw a bit on the end in case you know something happened, or just to give a an exit cut, you know. Um, but it wasn't. It was pretty much tightly scripted, I reckon.
3: Yeah. Although there is an argument. The best line in the film is the one that I didn't write. <laughs> I don't like that line. He doesn't like it, but everybody else does. That's what the argument is. We can have that later. Yeah,
1: we can have that. Aidan, you obviously tend to balance small films like Still and work with Jamie Thraves with bigger work like Game of Thrones or The Dark Knight Rises. So I wondered if you could talk about the differences between them for you as an actor, and I mean, do you get more chance to explore a character with something... Like this, or is it all happening too fast, and the, the work is too fast? Um, the difference
0: is, as the acting itself is not really any different. You know, the process is the same. I suppose um, you're going to tend to the roles you take in the the smaller films. Of course, you're not going to take. You're going to take a decent part. You're not going to take a tiny part in a, a. Well, you might, but I just don't. Um, I've actively tried to, you know, for every bigger project I've been working on, so say for every season of Game of Thrones, which is what I'm working on at the moment, uh, for every one of, you know, do maybe two projects like this. Um, So the roles are good, the experience is good, you work really hard, and um, you're also participating in the film industry, you know, you've been an active. participants in filmmaking at that level and, um, it, you know, your presence helps the film happen and that's, you know, some it's, I think it's important to uh, do that and it's also exciting to be in someone's first film, you know, in a way that it may not be if it's someone's fifth or if it's a fifth season of a TV series, you know, because they're staking everything on it and it, they may have spent, you know, five, ten years or 15 years getting to that point, so it's uh, an exciting thing to be part of whether it works or not, you know.
1: And Simon, I mean, how was it for you having someone with such a track record and someone who has such experience um, being there for your first film? I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I I think it's fantastic. I mean,
3: it's it's about the credibility. It makes you it makes you feel that you're onto something. You know, I mean, I love Dayton's work. I love The Wire. I love Queer as Folk. Um, You know, I'd seen the Jamie Thraves films as well. And, you know, he's the kind of f- person that I want to work with and he makes he's involved in the kind of projects that I would like to make. So it gives you a, one, it gives you a credibility and it makes you think that, you know, once once Aidan agreed to do it, the whole kind of sense from the the team that was working on the film kind of because you think, ah, oh, we're onto something, because it's very fragile when you're when you're creating something, you know, you really don't know what people are going to think. And so to to have Aidan come on board was was was. And we
0: should point out that there are um, a number of other uh, really good actors, um, or that there are a number of really good actors. I'm not including myself in that um, terminology. But uh, Jonathan Slinger, um, who you you know most people don't know, he's a pretty really well known stage actor, in fact, and uh, had done lots of parts in TV and film, but. You know, wouldn't be a household name, and uh, he came on board and played this character Ed, who's the best friend. Who's it's as big a part as my part, and you know he's really good, as is Amanda Mealing, who plays who was in that clip, that played who was the older woman, the ex. Uh, and
3: wife. she's a revelation because she's largely a, a TV actress, which you know, not in any way to to put down TV acting, but you know, she. We had a running joke that every European auteur would be interested in her after still, you know, because, you know, like Benosh or Kirsten Scott Thomas, she feels as you know, her performance feels as strong as that. There's also um, a
0: really good uh, uh, young guy, yeah, kid. He was, you just saw him in that clip kind of peering around the um, the, the, the pillar uh, called Sonny Green, who's, you know, I don't know what age he is, 17, 18. Yeah, he's something. about 18,
3: 19 now, um, so he's 16, 17. But his
0: background it. is that he's a. Uh, a spoken word artist or a rapper or... Um, it's his first acting role though, Yeah, right?
3: he'd never done anything before.
0: Where'd you find him?
3: Because we... I didn't... I really wanted a kid that looked like he'd walked off the Barnesbury Estate in North London and walked onto the set and bumped into Aidan, literally like the thing that starts the film. Um, and we auditioned hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids and they were all very good in their own way, but you could see the joins because they were all actors. So you could see them thinking about what they were doing rather than responding to what was happening to them. Um, and he came in and auditioned for us, uh, Carmel Cochrane, our casting director, found him. Um, and he was just very charismatic and, um, and he'd had a bit of a life and I felt like he knew the character. And he, was, he was really, really good, as Aiden says, you know, they're quite dynamic, the scenes with him and Aiden are really strong.
1: Yeah, I mean, I won't spoil it for anyone, but the, the climactic scene between Aiden and Sonny is, is, is really remarkable. His, his performance is really stunning. Yes. Um, this is probably a, as good a point as any to introduce the second clip, which is, um, involves Jonathan Slinger, who you were just talking about, and it's uh, Aiden's character Tom and Jonathan's character Ed looking at slides. So if we can roll that.
3: He's a nice Tom. Very nice. You can't beat kids. I mean, pictures kids. There's hope, isn't there? Want some of this? It's not
0: even 11
3: o'clock. It's Saturday. I can wait. Got any beers?
1: There
3: should be some in the fridge in there.
0: How's that story gone?
2: Terry Gray? 15-year-old kid. Stabbed
3: to death at a park football match. Eight-inch blade. And a broken bottle. Nasty business. Pension wizard. The DI dealt with Stephen. Yeah, I remember. Sends his regards. That's nice. Sorry, Mr Poker. Where does he live? River Mead Estate. The one by the park in the playground. Why?
1: I think I took a picture of his brother in um, the school last week. Leave it, Tom. Oh,
0: fuck, what time is it?
1: 11. 11.30. Oh, shit, fuck, I forgot. Rachel.
0: Uh. Hi. You right? Yeah. No, no, I didn't forget. Come up. Yeah, I'm not ready. It'll take me. It'll take me ten minutes. Yeah, come on. Um. It's
3: Rachel, she's outside. Looks like these are going to have to wait. Rachel. Yeah, we're visiting Stephen's grave together.
1: Leaving?
2: Ah well love to stay, but um, the boys.
1: Uh, yeah, of course. Nice to see you, Rachel. Yeah, you too. See you later, Tom. Yeah, take care. So
0: uh okay. I'll just get ready.
1: Okay. Beer for breakfast. Classy. So I'll just ask a couple more questions and then we'll open it to the audience. So have a think about uh, what you want to ask. Um, Simon, when you got to the editing room, did you feel like you'd got the film that you wanted? Did, you know, when you, when you sat down and reviewed The Rushes, did, 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 did it resemble the film that you'd imagined in your head before yeah, you made? No,
3: initially I was very excited um, <laughs> and then it became problematic. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I thought I'd got everything that I needed. But trying to shape the story then became much more difficult. I mean, Aidan has already hinted at the fact that John Slinger's role, Ed, was quite a large role in the screenplay, and so trying to to make sure that it was Carver's story, because they both kind of have parallel stories as well that run alongside each other, Um, and and opening it out as well, um, we realised that we had to really kind of hone in on Carver's story. That was the key. And so the, the editorial process was quite tricky because we, we moved away from the screenplay and started moving things further forward in the plot. And But and so that was probably the toughest process, was the editing.
1: And how do you feel about the way the film's been received? I know you won an award in Ireland, so congratulations for that. Thank you. I mean, how are you you feeling about the way the film's... I mean, I love it. I'm very proud
3: of it. Um, It's a very personal film, so it's difficult for me to be too objective. I mean, it's very polarising. I think you either love it or hate it. It's kind of... um, I think you either buy into the world or you don't, and if you don't, then it's a fairly tough 90 minutes. If you do, then I think... And also, I think it's it's tricky because it's an attempt to understand a person that is falling apart, and so it's it's got a heightened sense because when you're in that state, you know, um, things are much more heightened and strange and odd. Um, And I think if you buy into that and you understand that, then I hope it's a it's a great ride. But if you don't, I think that's why it's polarizing. So it's kind of
1: Uh, so. I'll open it up to questions from the audience if anyone has anything to ask. Go ahead. Uh, I actually had uh, a, another uh, election question for you, Aidan, but a transatlantic one. Um, I don't know if you've heard that uh, Martin O'Malley, uh, the character that your character in The Wire was inspired by, uh, the rumours he's going to run as uh, a rival to Hillary Clinton for the Democratic nomination, and I wondered what you thought about that and whether you saw your character if The Wire had continued as possibly... In your your imagination, sort of going on to that path.
0: Um, the character of Car- Thomas Carcetti in the war is based on maybe two or three people, um, and then there's another that's maybe sixty percent of it, and then forty percent of it is made up. It's very loosely based on a number of people, one of whom is O'Malley, but you know, it's not it's not O'Malley. Um, I always, O'Malley was always seen as a potential presidential candidate, not just a vice presidential candidate, and um, he was mayor of Baltimore while we were shooting uh, The Wire in Baltimore. He became governor uh, not long after that, um, so it's not a surprise, and, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise if he ran, if he, uh, ran presidentially at any point, um, so it's not a surprise. Do I think Tommy would have? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to use up all the time on a on a war question, but uh, even it, you know, in the Carketti journey from season three to the end of season five, it was you know it, things were already turning sour, and he was uh, yeah compromised. Um, thank you. <laughs>
1: any more for any more. Gentleman in the middle here. You can just wait for the mic to be passed along. Gentleman here. <laughs> oh, and then we'll, we'll come back to you after. <laughs>
2: um, this is a question for both of you. Uh, I'm an actor about to uh, graduate from drama school in a few months, and uh, it's a very intimidating prospect to sort of go into that world and sort of enter the party, so to speak, with, uh, without any real idea of how to interact with the millions of guests. I just wanted to ask you both. Um, do you have any advice as uh, how you sort of, in your early days, how you sort of navigated uh, the industry to the uh, to the successful points that you both are now?
3: Well, I didn't navigate the industry very well, so mm-hmm. I'm the worst person to answer that question.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> like. but you said thousands of something, what did you say, thousands of guests, what did you say?
2: Just, just, uh, just that the, obviously there's so many different people in the industry, oh, yeah. I'm only one actor, you know, how did yeah, you... Yeah,
0: I know, and just so is everybody else though, you know. I think it's finding a good role, uh, being in the right place, playing the right thing and doing it well, and uh, then trying to get people to see it or to know about it, you know, that's the thing. You can... Um, it's the same with a lot of... You know, I've been in, involved... In, I've been an actor since I was 17, and I'm, that's 30 years, you know, and um, there's been plenty of things along the way that I've worked on that I thought, you know, that we all worked really hard on and, and that n- people never saw, you know? So, um, it was, while it's enjoyable to do the stuff, you want people to see it. But just getting back to the, the start of things, I mean, in my case, I mean, I was um, that age, but uh, a certain amount of hustling, you know what I mean? Without being, without being crazy and without really annoying people. You know, but actually going out, people do appreciate when somebody walks across town, or cycles across town, or whatever across town, and you know, delivers a resume or a photograph or whatever it is. Um,
3: and also being passionate just, as well. Yeah, being, being
0: passionate, being being passionate, yeah, and trying and to get, trying to learn all the time, and
3: uh, and never giving up. I mean, I could have easily given up, and still, still has been, you know in my kind of dna for the last I and mean, the stage play was in 1999 so 16 years and in that process in that period of time i could have given up on many 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 occasions and I, I didn't and and then i got lucky and so you know i think persistence is another key thing
0: and i think making your own work if you have to as well which if a lot more people to, yeah. are doing yeah. uh, nowadays It may you may not be able to live off it, but if it's good, you'll be able to it's a good uh, calling card. It is yeah. a good calling card, yeah. yeah. And people respond to it and appreciate and you can, it if
3: it's good. And you can do that cheaply now with, you know, digital and you know, it's not like the old days where you know a sixteen millimeter film would cost would cost ten grand, you know, a ten minute sixteen millimeter film and you know, the ni- now you know you can make it for very little and it have high end production values and everything else. So yeah.
0: And being around good people is important. Um, you know, it may be playing a tiny part in something, but uh, if you're around people who are good, you learn a lot and uh, they like having you around as well, you know. I started out with t- you know, pretty tiny parts, uh, one, two lines, you know, and uh, built up from there over a long time. I don't know, that's all I can say. That's the only advice I have. I didn't go to drama school or any of that, so um, I was approaching it in the only way that I knew or that I didn't know, in fact, which was just finding my way. Thanks.
2: If
1: you can pass the mic back to the gentleman behind you, that would be great.
2: Sorry. Can I ask, do you think the film will, um, do you fear the film won't get to its audience?
0: I think the film will get to an audience because it has distribution, you know, so it will get to an audience. Um,
3: uh, Is it the audience that
0: you... It's the. I mean, it's, it's going to get to the audience, the kind of audience who would w- would appreciate the film, and nowadays, uh, it feels like there's probably as many. I don't know if there are as many independent cinemas as there used to be, but there's certainly um, some in in London anyway. There's you know pretty some pretty decent uh, like the chains and stuff that you know will show this film around town. Um, I think it's probably probably been made easier due to uh, the uh, and digital projection, you know, you can actually have more copies of a film and not just, you know, say when we brought out Jamie Travers' film *Lowdown*, there was like two prints or something. You know, there'd be two prints because that's all you could afford to actually have because it's because it's an actual film print. And um, so you can, if there's an an, an appetite for, uh, you know, and if it's been well regarded or well reviewed or whatever, you can get, you can get more um, s- screenings. Um, and it's just if it's in, and if it's good, people should respond to it. And if it's not, they'll respond to it in the in the corresponding way. Um, we know, you know, we know it's not it's not going up against Transformers Four or whatever. I mean, it might it might be coming out the same week, but it's it's they're in different brackets. And there's always an audience of, of people who don't want to go and see Fast and Furious or uh, John Wick. You know, um, so I hope people do see it, but you know. Um, and certain, certainly, one of, that is a question, who's distributed and what's the deal there? Well, I mean, I know, but I'm just asking you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: but it's distribu- distributed by Verve in the UK and Ireland, and you know, again, that's a credibility thing for Still. You know, they've distributed some really interesting films in uh, the last five or six years. So again, to be associated with those kind of films for Still is great. Um, I mean an interesting sideline is about genre and how to pitch Still because that's a slight problem because um, for me I'm interested in making films that kind of fall through the cracks of genre I'm not very interested in genre per se and so Still starts off as a very different film and then mutates into something else and so for poor old Colin at Verve and Colette they have to try and sell that and that is tricky, um, because still it's all kinds of films, it's a kind of, you know, it's, 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 it's being sold as a thriller, whether it's a thriller, you know, it's kind of, it's lots, it's, hopefully it kind of falls through the cracks of genre, and that's, that there was always the intention, you know, um, to make something different, that's not like everything else. But not through
0: the cracks, just through the cracks of the, the genre <laughs> cracks. Yeah, yeah,
3: not
1: yeah speaking of not the
0: audience yeah.
1: Speaking of quite independent London cinemas there is the Region Street Cinema is opening tonight and still will be screening there on Friday for the premiere so if you want
3: to go I don't know if the the stick is still available but try Kilburn, yeah screening at the Tricycle in Kilburn on Saturday Clapham well, Picture House on Sunday so if you if you fancy it and we're doing Q&As there and everything else so um, we got
1: time yeah. for two more questions so there's a lady there and the gentleman sitting in front of us so that lady first
2: Hi Simon, this one's for you. Um, just wanted to know why did you name your piece Still? Why that word?
3: Uh, l- uh, lots of reasons. Um, he's a still photographer. Um, I am, was, and still am a big fan of Joy Division, and they had an album called Still, which I loved. It had this beautiful cover, kind of really thick, like. Um, uh, factory records, kind of, you know, the way they used to produce things was very beautiful. And also, probably more than anything else, uh, the film is about um, a man receiving a phone call where somebody says, um, I have some dreadful news, Mr. Carver. Unfortunately, uh, your son passed away today. And Carver, when we join the film, he is still at that moment, a year on, he's still stuck, frozen, still. Um, and that's why it was called Still. And that's, but that's the key thing, is that he is a person frozen with grief. And that inertia leads to lots of other dreadful things, but that's the key element, is that he just can't move on, he's stuck. And so that's why it's called Still.
1: Good answer. So, final question.
2: Hi there, um, I do have um, a question for Aidan and also Simon, if that's all right. So I'll start with Aidan, which is, it's very admirable that you like your British independent cinema. What makes you passionate about it over Hollywood mainstream, which is something you enter as well with the Maze Runner part two?
0: Um, well, I'm interested in, in it all really, you know. Uh, primarily it's playing a good role and being around, you know, interesting creative people. and. Uh, you know, I probably in my cinema going, I do go and see more indie films than I do go and see blockbusters, but I do go and see both, and there's a place for all of it. You know, um, it's it's just more exciting to be on the team of of the you know the team the the under the underdog. You know, I'd I I always side with the underdog, and it's more exciting to play on the team that's you know it's going to have a harder uh, job in in winning the game. You know, um, that's. It's not all. It's not all that. It's
2: uh, I don't know. I think that's the answer. Okay, thank you. Okay. And for Simon, having already seen the film and reviewed it, it's a great film. Thank you. I've noticed um, your kind of influence from Scorsese because this is um, a British urban drama or British urban thriller. I've noticed uh, the musical score very much taken from Bernard Herrmann's Taxi Driver in a way. I felt that there was an influence there. What was your decision to take that kind of a score compared to what someone like Noel Clarke would take with his grime and his R&B with a film like that, which well, would be more he, conventional?
3: He's a lot younger than me, for starters. <laughs> um, we didn't want, again, in trying to do something different, we didn't want to do an urban film that had the, the kind of ticks of what normal urban films have. So we went very much for a noir kind of influence that was went back to the 50s. And so we also decided, um, with Alex Gray, who did the soundtrack, to tap into all those kind of jazz soundtracks that Duke Ellington did, like Anatomy of a Murder and Miles Davis a Lift to the Scaffold and the Gil Evans soundtracks, which then kind of ran into Bernard Herman's taxi driver soundtrack. Um, And then to also give it a kind of modern update by kind of trying a kind of mix between like burial and a mix of burial and the bernard herman and um, and the scorsese thing i'm i'm actually not a massive scorsese fan Um, i love taxi driver and i love one or two others but i'm not a massive scorsese fan but definitely the idea of somebody raging against the light and travis bickle and carver that felt like a very similar and then there were weird things like he has a jacket that is not dissimilar to you know, the green. So there were lots of taps in. And the last shot of the film is, again, um, very similar to Taxi Driver in terms of, um, a, you know, kind of a quiet moment at the end of all this carnage where you can just take stock of what's gone before. So yeah, yeah there were definitely influences.
1: So we're gonna end it there. It's a good place to end it, talking about the end of the film. Uh, go and see still. Uh, Thank you very much. We need all our
3: champions. So, yeah, please go and see it. Go and see it. Thank you. Thank you very much.